The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. This is the 3CR Garden Show and I'm Virginia Haywood. With me are John Arnott, Horticultural Manager from Cranbourne and Chloe Thompson, Horticulturalist and Serious Media Person. Been there, dug that, behind the gate, her YouTubes, which she will talk about in a minute. Good morning, you two. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning. Serious Media Person. I know, gosh, that sounds uh, daunting actually. <laughs> I promise I'm not that daunting. <laughs> This is not going to be an expose. No. <laughs> no, but you are that interesting, so that's oh, fair Oh, thanks, Virginia. <laughs> Do you want to tell us what you've been doing lately? Oh, my goodness, yes. What have I been doing? So, yeah, as you mentioned, my latest little um, venture is a YouTube channel. Um, so I've started a YouTube channel. Bean There, Doug That is my YouTube channel. Bean like the one that you eat, of course. And my new YouTube video series is called Behind the Garden Gate. And essentially what we do is we go into people's private gardens and we have a look behind the garden gate. We have a bit of a snoop. So far I have aired, what, five or six episodes. They're about eight minutes long each. Um, They're really casually just sort of a walk around through the garden, me telling you about either the garden designer or the plants or um, how the owners use the garden. That sounds really good. Yeah. So we now have you and we have Stephen Ryan with his YouTube. Yeah, exactly. So we might be old-fashioned radio, which they did say was going to disappear and has just got more oh, and more popular. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, I just went onto Facebook and I'm now following oh. you on, on the Facebook. Thanks, John. <laughs> on the Facebook. The Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, well, I'm not necessarily a, na- a, a media native. <laughs> That's okay. Um is it going okay? The, yeah, the, the... it is. I've had amazing feedback about it, actually. Terrific. Yeah. Um, the gardens that I've done so far have largely been garden designer friends, but I'm really open to doing, you know, members of the public as well. Do you want to come to Cranbourne? I know. I, I think I think I need to do that as well. Go behind the scenes of some, you know, public gardens yeah. that people can go to. Yeah, I'd love to. Come into our nursery and we can uh, we can go behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, let's I, do it. I think we need to do that too, yeah. You could come and do mine too. Absolutely, yes. Because we're going to have a garden party at mine, for, which is raising money for the show. Yep. I mean, for the station. Mm-hmm. And so I'll have to get it all spruced up. So when it's spruced, you could come and do mine. Perfect. You know, I'll have to mow the lawns and, and <laughs> do the edges. Do you, do you self-spruik? As no. in... Um, so I'm just getting a little tiny little bit of feedback yeah, here. I'm yeah, I'm a tiny bit too. It seems to be on your mic, John. I hmm. don't know why. Maybe there's a little bit of sound in the room still still on. Uh, not sure. Hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I am getting some feedback here. Hmm. Yeah, I have no idea. Maybe uh, maybe it's the computer. Have don't another go. Off. No, it's still there. No, it's just doing it without even talking. 
That seems to be a bit better. I'm sorry, everybody out there. We seem to have a little bit of feedback, which we have no idea where it comes little, from, us being so technical. A little technical <laughs> difficulty. Now, speaking of the, um, the garden party that we're going to have to raise a bit of money for the... <laughs> for, oh, dear, that's terrible. Yeah. I wonder if people can hear it or if it's just for us. Yes, could somebody ring in and tell us if you can hear the feedback? Because if it's not... just us, we'll write it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I, the producer says it's coming through and he's texting someone. So oh, it's okay. Right. okay. I'll um, maybe turn my mic off for a second. I'll jump in when, when I can. Oh. Or I'll try the other one. Try, try the, the other, other mic. mic. Yeah, try the other mic. See oh, you're that... still attached, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But back to the garden party. Yes. Now, somebody called Gillian contacted the station and said she hasn't yet heard. But, but sorry, everybody. Um, she, uh, we are going to be emailing everybody who is coming to the garden party with directions, times, all that sort of thing. We, it was extraordinary, we raised more than 15000 Dollars for the station this time. It's the most we've ever raised. Amazing. So we're very, very thrilled. I... No, it's still going off. Is it pregnant? me? No? Let's just ignore it. I, I know. Think, yeah, I think we the can best cope. thing we can do is ignore it and hope that... Um... You get a bit of tech support down the track. Yep. And there we go. Yeah, we'll, we'll just have to hope. Now, I might make some announcements because I can <laughs> and because I'm distracted because of that horrible noise. And so she's hunting for a bit of paper. Yes. No, now I've lost that piece of paper. So I won't make the announcements. Maybe what we will do is go back to talking about what, what you have been doing, John. Um, well, um, RBGV is about to... Um, uh, have a, a completely different uh, chief executive and um, uh, and, and lead with Tim Entwistle finishing up uh, next Wednesday. I think is his last day. It is. Um, it is. after ten years of, uh, of 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 working as chief executive and uh, and executive director, um, Tim's made a phenomenal contribution to the RBG over the last ten years. We are really going to miss. Tim Entwistle. Yeah. I think I think every director of a, of a botanic garden brings in and <clears throat> has influence. Mm. And um, so Tim, I think Tim's legacy is going to be uh, quite different to, to, to other directors. I think what Tim has done, he's democratised the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria. He's made it accessible. Um, he would have to be the most well-known yep. um, botanic garden director in Australia, and one of the and most one of the most in the world in now. globally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is one of the reasons I think it's just such a tragedy we're losing him. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, aside from the fact that I'll just miss him because I think he has made, he's made. I mean, I'm just a very lowly voluntary guide, but he has made us all much more, much more included. Feel you know, he's he's in. Personally, included us. Yeah, he's been very inclusive. Mm. Um, but I think the term, you know, democratising the garden. I mean, the garden 
it's you know it it is. Um, I wouldn't have said the garden has ever been elusive because mm-hmm. it's always been open to the public. It's always been, but but perhaps just in terms of the the Royal Botanic Garden attracted garden lovers, um, and you know people that understood botanic gardens, and I think Tim's reach. Um, into into the broader community through programs like Fire Gardens and pr- through programs like Lightscape. Yep. Um, and you experienced Lightscape uh, yeah. firsthand last night. Yes, it was amazing. Um, and a whole range of other you know sort of public programs and events and um, you know just the amount of time that uh, Tim has spent in studios such as this talking the talking the gardens. He you know, incredibly said, accessible. He has yes, he has talked about the gardens to so many people that it's, that in itself is quite exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also, I think that conference last year was so important. It yep. was just extraordinary. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was a really important event where he brought botanic gardens from all over the world together to talk about the how we plan for climate change. Which, yes. And when we look at what's happening in America and Europe and Asia at the moment... Do we need any more proof that we have to actually be thinking how to cope with oh, this? Look, it, it, and it, it's ridiculous, um, but it's probably taken this northern hemisphere summer to make, to make for the penny to actually drop across yep. the globe. Well, it's dropped with most of us. The trouble is that it hasn't dropped with the people that make decisions about coal. Yeah. It, 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 it dropped through to you know, a, a, a black summer. Mm. You know, Previous fire seasons, you've, you've described a fire event by a single day. Yes. This was defined by yes. a season. Yes, and it is terrifying. Extraordinary. Mm. So it sort of it dropped for Australians, and um, you know the the Black Summer fires. There were particles of fire of smoke from East Gippsland that circumnavigated the globe. Oh, yes. It was it was a mega fire. Mm. Never the globe has never experienced anything like that before. So it dropped for us in the southern hemisphere. Um, yeah, I think... Well, of course, the other thing that they're now saying is, is that the, um, the Atlantic drift is going to change and that will yeah. make Europe get, have much more... Ext- and Britain be, have extremely cold winters mm. and hot summers yep. and that will really stuff things up as well. Yep. So, yeah, on Tim's watch, the, 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 uh, the RBGV is leading the globe in um, climate preparedness... It's not necessarily mitigation; it's more adaptation. Adaptation, but that's yes. but that's okay. I well, mean, the, that's the absolute, it, it's a it's a, a a proactive thing. Absolutely, the most the, the classic example is the oak lawn, which is one of the best known sections of our garden, and it's incredibly <coughs> important and it's beautiful. But of course, it's got a whole lot of North European and English oaks, Temp- temperate oaks, and yeah. now. I mean, one of them fell down, must be two years ago now, mm. and now they're planting Mexican oaks yep. and southern USA oaks. Yeah, yeah. Mexico has more oaks than any other country in the world, Yeah, which I think is, people don't know. I, no, didn't know. I, didn't I think know that's that. extraordinary. I mean, oaks are a mega diverse group. Yes. yes. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. You and tend so to... to be planting English oaks, mm. Quercus roba, it's just no point. No, no. And that's what that whole sort of landscape succession uh, is about oh, good. Have we got rid of the feedback? I think we have. Oh, beautiful. We have got the most extraordinary <coughs> producer. He is just truly, truly yeah. wonderful. Well done, Doug. Everybody, I had to take this off. We I have, do I know. It. I know. we have to say 
Carl, thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> he was running around between us all while we're trying to talk calmly, and he's running around like a headless chicken. <laughs> uh, except um, his head was working. Yeah, exactly. No, Unlike mine, which was just panicking. So, yeah, uh, that, that succession of – I mean, the Botanic Gardens at Melbourne will always look and feel like the Royal Botanica. It will always feel like a Guilfoyle landscape. It is one of the best gardens in the world. One of the great gardens of the mm. world. Mm. Um, in, and it, 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 the character of the garden will – Will in in a hundred years' time, you'll walk into the Melbourne Gardens and go, I I recognise this place as a Guildford landscape, but the species composition will be completely different. Yes, mm. um, and that's that. What that landscape succession strategy is, is is all about. Now that's happened on Tim's Watch. Mm. The other thing that's happened on Tim's Watch is this emergence of conservation horticulture. So horticulture, which is um, geared towards the conservation of a species. Mm. So not only sort of that landscape scale protection and adaptation of the Melbourne Gardens, but, but predominantly at the, at the Cranbourne Gardens, there's a whole bunch of uh, work and effort going into uh, conservation of horticulture, so protecting species through conservation actions. Um, those, back to the Congress, um, uh, back in October last year, those two things were the that – was, that was the guts of the, of the Congress – Climate Adaptation and Conservation of Horticulture, both being led by RBGV, both emerging through Tim's tenure. And What a contribution, as well as democratising the garden. Mm. Not a bad effort. And actually raising these issues with botanic gardens all over the world. Yep. So all mm. over the world. these are, Because, of course, conservation doesn't just mean conserving Australian plants because when we're looking at climate change, it means preserve... I mean, if, if we have a small island somewhere that... Are only, like both Canary and Madeira, they have things that are totally there and nowhere else in the world. Yep. Well, if things can't survive there, we need to help them survive somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And we've done that before with Easter Island. I mean, Easter Island had an extinct... Species Sephora Toromiro. Exactly. And somebody had the bright idea to follow Cook's voyage and see if any of the botanic gardens along that voyage had the Sephora. And it was found in our garden and in one of the New Zealand gardens, I think it was. And a couple of, mm. couple of gardens in Germany as well, curiously. Um, but, yeah, I mean, um, extinct, this, in, the, extinct in the wild mm. and... Um, with sort of backstop to extinction, I mean, still technically extinct, functionally extinct. It is extinct, functionally extinct um, in, in, because in the world. it has been taken back to Easter Island and extincted again. <laughs> de extincted, unextincted. <laughs> we've we've experienced a few extinctions um, in in the last few years. Things that were thought, in fact, one one happened uh, as a result of the the floods last year. Oh. There was a little sedge. Um, a little Cyprus um, thing, which hadn't been seen since you know, 1913 or you know, a long, 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 long time. Um, and, uh, you know, those mega floods uh, in, uh, in the northwest of Victoria, it kind of re-emerged. So it's been sitting there as seed, dormant, um, in the seed bank for, I, don't know, I, I think it was 1913. It was, it was a long time. Well, I've got another one here that came from Melbourne Botanic Gardens. I'll read it because it's so interesting. A previously presumed extinct plant species has been rediscovered in Victoria's Mallee. Also known as bearded flat sedge, it's been listed extinct for more than 60 years 60. and its last verified sighting was 1953 when I was one years old. 
It was rediscovered while botanists were inspecting public land close to the Murray River during last year's floods. So this is the one you were talking about? Yep. How so 60 years, not um, – yeah, 60 years. Yeah. My maths can't quite work out what 1913 <laughs> would be. Yeah, yeah it's remarkable. Than, it's more than 60. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, a lot more. Yeah. Mm. Um, not a lot. I was one. Not <laughs> <laughs> I was about the same. <laughs> Um, but there was, there was another one in the Melbourne Gardens. They were contacted by the department saying, we found something, this is quite a long time ago, and before the bad fires, mm-hmm. which is, what, 12 years ago now, um, we found something, we don't know what it is. Would you come and have a look? So the gardens go off and have a look, and they think, hmm, we don't know what that is. And so they take cuttings and seed and do all that sort of scientific stuff that the herbarium does. Yep. And take it back and grow it on and name it, et cetera, et cetera. And there's some planted in the gardens, I know. And then the fires came and that plant disappeared wow. and has not been seen. And, and it has now gone back from what we had in the Botanic Gardens. Mm-hmm. But without that effort between the department and the Botanic Gardens, that plant would have disappeared forever. And we wouldn't have even known that it's gone. No. Good. No. Which the Woolamai pine, a perfect what? example. I mean, how big is a Woolamai pine? Very big, <laughs> and yet very you large. No, it was there. <laughs> we um, we've uh, since two thousand and sixteen. Again, under Tim's watch, supported by Tim, um, Cranbourne Garden staff have uh, gone into the field, maybe fifty or sixty locations, wild collected. We've established a, a collected over a thousand species, so nearly a third of the Victorian flora. We've brought into cultivation as, as, as well collected material into the collection. Um, and one of these things we collected was a commissonia. Um, so, um, Never heard of it. Oh, no, they're gorgeous. They're, they're, they're really gorgeous. I'll, I'll, I'll try and drop an image of this commissonia. Um, and it was collected as commissonia. We assumed it was a different species. We brought it into cultivation, planted it into the forest garden and thought that's got very different characteristics to what we thought we, we were looking at. Um, so we've uh, collected, it, collected it a bit, sent it to Neville Walsh, um, the conservation botanist um, associate. Neville said, I reckon I need to send this to the Commissonia expert at King's Park. And so a, 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 a specimen Australia. went across to Western Australia. They came back and said, that's a brand new species to Victoria. <laughs> Fantastic. Isn't that cool? Yes. Yeah. And yet we can approve going and digging a whole new coal mine without checking what's there and what we're getting rid of. And we know we don't need coal mines anyway. Mm-mm. No. No. It is terrifying when you think. I mean, there's a when I take a walk in the Botanic Gardens, just as we start the walk up by the visitor centre, there's a fairly ordinary-looking gum, eucalyptus there, and I say, this is an interesting plant. And everyone stops and looks at it and think, wow, what's interesting about that? <laughs> and I say, this was not n- discovered by science till 1995, and there is only one entry on the internet about it, and it comes from that discovery by the RBG. Do you know what it is? Can you remember what it's called? Gregoriensis. Gregoriensis. Yes. Aren't I clever? I remember. (laughs) Gregoriensis. Yeah, that's that white trunk to belly thing. Yes, and it's not terribly exciting, but it's probably not terribly exciting living in Victoria, (laughs) especially not in Melbourne. It's happier there than it would be living at my place, but... <laughs> yeah. oh, I think it's uh, I think it's quite a handsome. It, it's it's not yes. Small it's multi-branched a small tree. Yeah, yes, and yeah. all the mallees are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I love mallees. I think now. Speaking of mallees, this is a very strange jump. Yeah. But Leanne texted. No, she didn't. She emailed in 
saying, how do I coppice a cottonus or cotinus, a cottonus flame, which is the smoke bush? And the botanic gardens, they, they coppice theirs every year. Well, every year, I think it's every year and quite viciously. If not every year, every couple. Mm. Yep, but yeah. I coppice mine every couple. Yep. But I'm beginning to regret it, particularly for the ones that are very leggy. Some of those um, new cultivars of smokebush are very leggy. They have terribly long branches. Yeah, okay. And where I've been coppicing them, I've encouraged this legginess. So my first point, Leanne, was that if you don't need to coppice it, maybe it would be lovely as a tree. But, yes, you can definitely coppice it, and you can coppice it to whatever level you like. You can coppice it down or you can coppice it at waist level or mm-hmm. you can coppice it higher. Yep. What do you think, John? You I'd, think go, I'd, I'd, I'd go low. I'd go as close to the ground as, as practicable. And I suppose that makes it a bush and the legginess doesn't matter. Yeah. Because if, if, you, if you're viewing everything at, at, at sort of eye height, um, yeah, I, th- I think I'd, I mean, that would be a preference. Um, but it depends on the space and, you know, how much space you need to fill and what, what yeah, I think it would be site-specific. Yes. Um, but I, I, I do like the – I think the art of coppicing is to get down pretty close to the ground and produce this, Except this think, multi-trunked um, think about, emergence. Think about the erythrina by the herbarium. <clears throat> now, if that's not coppicing – No, that's not accurate. That's – Pollarding. Pollarding. Yeah. yeah. The Whomping Willow, we called that last night as we walked past it. <laughs> My nine-year-old said, Mum, it's the Whomping Willow the whomping out of Harry Potter. I, always, I said, exactly. <laughs> it looks exactly like it. Chloe, I always call it the Whomping Willow oh, well, on go. my walks. And then I shake it because it's incredibly oh. – I mean, you can you can bounce on it. It's the really? most extru- – It's spectacular. It's beautiful bark. Yeah. And it, the way it moves is extraordinary. Oh. Um, People think it's all about flowers. When you're talking about trees, the bark can be so important. Oh, that is, yes. It's a wonderful oh, tree. I know it's weedy, but I adore it. But I'm Gorgeous. not sure it's all that weedy. I think there are weedy, some weedy ones. Mm. Um, is that well, ca- you is know, that kaffra? I'm sure it's not weedy everywhere. Is no, it? Mm. Yeah. no, no, no. Um, but yeah, that's pollarding. So that's. But isn't the difference between coppicing and pollarding a matter of height and nothing else? I think coppicing is at the base. The base, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I think everything else is pollarding. 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 You get those really distinctive knuckles. Yeah. Yes. That like the whomping willow. <laughs> so you're pruning to the same. You're pruning to the same structure every time. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's a pretty brutal technique. It is. It's pretty brutal. But you often see it done on a lot of street street trees. <laughs> yes, and usually badly. Very yeah. badly and very lopsidedly. Yeah, yeah. I feel very sorry for them. <laughs> Whereas they do most or all of the erythrinas, of which there is a lot. It's called the flame tree. It comes from Brazil. And when you walk into the botanic gardens, it's just at the beginning by the herbarium. And it flowers in, at Christmas time. And mm-hmm. it's big red flowers. So it's fabulous at Christmas time because it's been Christmassy. Very yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes it a very, very good tree to look at. And they'll just be pruning it now because when I went through a week ago with some listeners from the 3CR Garden Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it hadn't nice. been done and I looked at it and thought, you look terrible, you need your hair cut. <laughs> <laughs> Erythron is a really interesting group. There's another one in the um, uh, South African Garden, which is, I think it's Acanthocarpa, which is um, 
it, it's not prostrate, but it's 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 like a really old plant. I think it's been there for I don't know, it's long as I've been looking at the gardens, uh, and it's no taller than about a meter, um, and it probably has about a three meter spread. So, but, and that's because it's pollarded. Uh, no, I just think it's, it's that's its, it's natural just, form. It's, it's shape, yeah, right. I mean, it's probably been pruned um, to assist that. Um, but no, I think its natural shape is to be um, small. Mm. And there's erythrinas in the in the Australian flora. Uh, Are there? Yeah, that yeah. I didn't know. How there's, nice. there's there's a thing up north called the um, it's called the batwing um, the batwing er- er- erythrina, and you know the Batman symbol yeah. in the old cartoon. Mm-hmm. It, that's the exact shape of the foliage. Yeah, it's got this Batman um, uh, shaped foliage. It's gorgeous. So where does it live? Uh, northern climes. Uh, so it's going to be in Peter's Garden up in Cooktown or somewhere like that. Oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. But all, all, also all through the, um, the the sort of the top end into the Kimberley and. Um, in fact, that thing goes all the way through to the to the desert country. It's actually an inland thing as well. Wow! So you can see that in and around Alice Springs, but it's got the the most remarkable foliage that, that is Batman silhouette. That's like. crazy. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Three CR Garden Show, and I'm Virginia Hayward, and we've got John Arnott and Chloe Thompson with us here. I'll just make some announcements because there are a few coming up. We will start with next weekend, the 5th of August. Now, the Warrigal Orchid Group are having their... The Warrigal Orchid Society are having their winter orchid show and sale, and it's going to be in Diamond Creek Road in Greensboro, and it's both the Saturday and the Sunday. So that's the Warrigal Orchid Society winter show, and if you go Warrigal Orchid Society, one word, you'll find them on the internet. Also next Saturday at Fernie Creek, our own Ben Brooker will be giving a talk at 2pm. And also next Saturday, the Burnley Friends will be having a pruning workshop. So that is another one. Just contact Burnley Friends. Go Burnley Friends online. You'll find it. Fernie Creek is F-C-H-S, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society.org.au. And Burnley Friends are having their AGM bit um, that night and they will be having a dinner and then they're having a talk from Peter Teese on hellebores. On the 13th of August, Geelong Botanic Gardens have a walk on Chinese plants, 2pm, meet at the front gate. Now, of course... China had the first botanic gardens ever in something or other BC and then in about 600 AD it had the largest garden that the world's ever seen so and has the most extraordinary collection of plants naturally so China Chinese, Chinese plants mm. are very special so that's at the Geelong Botanic Gardens Geelong Botanic Friends 2 p.m. at the front gate <coughs> then on the 26th of August Melton Botanic Gardens is having their having a conference. It's to celebrate their birthday, and it's a dry garden conference. And Tim Entwistle will be speaking at that, yeah. as will Jane Edmondson and somebody else. And I can't remember the other, uh, the other person because I, I left the notes on my bed, and I'm doing this from memory. You're doing well. 
<laughs> it was someone known to us. It is somebody known to us. That's what makes me cross. And I was hoping that I've texted John, but he hasn't texted me back. Anyway, Melton Botanic Gardens, again, you'll be able to find that on the website. Now, the 2nd of September, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society are having their spring show on the Saturday. It's 12 till 4, and on the Sunday, it's 10 till 4. So that's the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society, fch.org.au. On the 23rd of September, for horticulturalists, there's so much to do, it's impossible to know where to go. There's the Yay Garden Expo. There's the Australian Orchid Society show in Mount Waverley. And then there's the Alpine Garden Society Collectors Garden, Garden Conference in the Dandenong Ranges. So the 23rd of September is a very, very exciting day, especially if you know how to clone. So I think those are quite interesting. Has anybody else? Oh, Simon Rickard. Oh, Simon Simon. Rickard. I knew it was somebody else we knew. Yes. Yes. That'll be a really good conference. Great lineup. Yeah, Mm. lovely lineup. Yes, well, that is the 26th of August. Fantastic. Very good lineup. Yeah, it's all happening. Spring is in the air. Spring is in the air. And Chloe, have you got any bits and pieces? I do. I've got a few things happening as well as my YouTube channel. Uh, At the moment, I've got the doors to my Sprout School open, which is my online gardening course designed to make anyone a better and more confident gardener. Um, I've taught over 100 students now over the last, what, two years? Um, And it's a seven-week course with me, uh, pre-recorded modules, but then we have a weekly live session as well. Um, And... and so it's entrance level. Entrance level, but also I have had people of all ages. I have had people who've done Cert 3 in horticulture yeah. and who work in horticulture and say it's been a great refresher or it's been a great, aha, uh-huh, no one ever taught me that. Great. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's really nice way as well. People, I've had people who were, um, you know, retirees join and say, I've, I've loved it just as a chance to refresh my knowledge, Beautiful. learn new perspectives. And just chat gardening for 10 weeks. Great. But adult <laughs> education in the main? It's yeah, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I have had one teenager last round. Okay. She was That's encouraging. 15, 16. Michaela, if I've got your age wrong, I apologise. But she's in high school and she's studying horticulture and agriculture at high school. Fantastic. Um, so that was really lovely to have her on board as well. But it's just a great chance to expand your knowledge because as good gardeners, we're always learning. Well, that's and that's the thing about this show. That's why people exactly. love this show because we've got – see, there's about, I don't know, 30 of us, mm-hmm. which is a lot. And yep. so we continually have really new information. Exactly. Coming out. And, and different voices different and different, voice. different, different, you know, um, horticultural – very different Interests and people who really know their Australian plants and not much else. People who don't, who really know something really specialist. Yep. Yeah. Psychads. Bulbs. Bulbs. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Cyclamen. Ed, ed, educators and yeah. so landscape architects. It does, it does make this show. Exactly. A real, it, because it's different every week. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. that's why people will come to to your... Yeah, for sure. Because we never stop learning. No, 100%. No. So it's really good. I really enjoy teaching it. Um, I've had amazing feedback from everyone who's done it. Um, and I do have a very special little discount code that I thought I'd give 3CR listeners. Nice. Um, if anyone does want to join, I'll give you $50 off if you use the code SPRING at the checkout. So people can go on and have a look. And my website is beantheredugthat.com.au. And bean is B-E-A-N that we eat. Bean like we eat. So beantheredugthat.com. 
Um, and sorry, no AU. And yeah, you can check it out there and find all about what Sprout School is, how to join. Um, and I'd love to see you there. I definitely had a few listeners join last time I talked about it. So it's good. Well, I get every time I say I'm doing a walk in the Botanic Gardens, I get listeners, which yeah, is fabulous. I can imagine. I love it. Mm. And it's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to the garden party because it'd be nice <laughs> to be putting. And I, we, yes. the four <clears throat> presenters um, met at Karanga yesterday for breakfast to talk about things mm-hmm. and we were talking about the show and I said we, we have to wear labels because everyone will recognise our voices but yes. they don't know what we look like. <laughs> well there was the, I think there was some feedback on the, on, on the Facebook uh, when we did the, the Botanic Gardens Day show. I think it was Tex, Claire, yourself, uh, Virginia and myself and there was a photograph on the wall and there was a comment so nice to be able to put faces to names. <laughs> yes. Faces to names, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny, actually. I did a podcast interview last week or the week before, and um, the bloke sent me through a link, and he goes, and here's the link. Um, I'll see you later. And I was just like, oh, see me later. And then he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a StreamYard link, so we'll be able to see your face as well. And I was like, oh, gosh, I've actually got to look respectable. (laughs) (laughs) Because so many podcasts these days actually do do a video stream as well and put it up on YouTube and things as well. So, Well, I'm glad they don't do that for us. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Although I'm dressed all in green today. I thought it was appropriate. I've got green boots. I've got green top to bottom. Um, Because it is National Tree Day. Yeah. It Just is, a, a, is. Sue Stevens, who is <clears throat> one of our group of the 30, texted in to say, remember, it's National Tree Day. Yeah. Yep. I think important. my local scout group's going off planting trees this morning, so there's probably some local tree planting happening near you. It's supposed to be 19 degrees today, so Beautiful. good day to get out and plant some trees. <clears throat> Very spring-like. Very spring-like. Oh, I wish I was in Seville. <laughs> <laughs> wish I was back home in Seville. <laughs> Um, This is not a a gardens thing, although we are related. Uh, At the Briars, um, down at Mount Martha, Mm -hmm. um, there is some tree planting going on down there and there's a tree called the Mount Martha Bundy, which is a eucalypt, Eucalyptus carolinii, which is critically endangered. It only occurs um, on the the Mornington Peninsula uh, and at the Briars they're planting... um, Hundreds and hundreds of uh, that's community planting day um, of this eucalyptus carolinii. How fantastic! Uh, yeah, yeah. See, classic place has been developed. Yep. And, and there is a plectranthus that comes from the New South Wales Queensland border. I mean, it's not critically endangered. Yeah, yeah. But it's threatened. Yeah. Too many surfers. Too many hippies. Too, too many rich people <laughs> leaving the city. God, what happened? What <laughs> like we could get on soapboxes here really quickly. <laughs> Byron Bay, 30, 40 years ago, was stunning. Stunning. Mm. It's not. It's something other. I mean, mm. it's. It's. I don't know. It's. We'll get off the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> now, can I just say that if you would like to talk to us, you can ring us on nine four one nine eight three double seven. Or you can text us on 0488 809 855 or you can send an email and it will be picked up next week by AB and that is 3cr.gardening at gmail.com. So that's 94198377. You're listening to the 3CR Garden Show with Virginia, John and Chloe. Yes, excellent. Well, I I do think that um, we do have to take our 
our environment. And every person that grows a garden is taking the environment more seriously. Absolutely. Because 100%. as soon as we grow a tree or we grow a bush, we're doing something to improve the world. Mm. And everybody who doesn't garden obsessively tidily is mm. doing even more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that, Virginia. We, um, we, we're cooking an idea at the uh, RBG. It's a project called – it's a series of projects called Raising Rarity – uh, and one of the arms of the raising rarity is um, to work with the horticultural industry on um, making available rare and threatened plants, so people can actually plant them into their into their gardens at home and make a contribution to the cons- to the conservation of that that particular species. Mm-hmm. So it's it's making look in in, in some sense it's commercialising. Um, yeah. Making available mm-hmm. uh, in retail outlets um, some of our fabulous rare, rare and threatened plants. That commissonia that I was talking about before is just not in cultivation. It's just impossible to get. But it's a gorgeous garden plant. So we've so we've gone through the Victorian flora and we're we're, we're picking up maybe fifteen, twenty, thirty things which are absolute stunning garden plants. And over the next couple of years, trying to get them to a point where um, they've been grown on in numbers by the industry uh, to be able to. Um, distribute through retail outlets. Yeah, well, I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah. Well, and look how well it's gone for something like the Wallamai pine. Yeah, exactly. That's the model. Yeah, that's the model. And yeah, they didn't release. They didn't tell us about the Wallamai pine till they were ready to give us something to yep. stop oh. us poaching, poaching, going right. in and trying to steal it. And somebody did go in with Phytophthora on their feet. Mm. Ugh. I mean, mm. you know, we, we're all told not to go there, not to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. of course, somebody had to go. Yeah. And, you know, the red um, the red wattle. Mm. Yes, I do. Which I saw. <laughs> John's got it over here. Oh, in his has he? Oh, he does. The, well, the red, the red wattle is exactly the same story. It is now... The It was... Well, so John, pretty. you talk about the red wattle. Isn't it gorgeous? Uh, Acacia leprosa. Uh, and it's... Uh, um, just a, a, a muted form. Now, Acacia leprosa is got, has got a lot of different um, f- forms and, you know, there's trees, there's little low ones. It's quite biodiverse within, within, the, within, within, the, within, within the thing, within the, uh, within the species. Um, but this particular red, red one was spotted by some bushwalkers, oh, I don't know, 15, 18, 20 years no, ago? No, I don't think it was that long ago. Wasn't it that long ago? Maybe 15. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, a little while ago. Um, and, you know, that it, it is, it's unique. It's a red-flowered wattle. I mean, the and sun, they spotted one. They spotted one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Uh, and RBGV. Up in Menindee, wasn't it? It was in the Menindee, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and RBGV uh, worked out how to, Propagate it, uh, grew it on, gave it a cultivar name mm-hmm. of Scarlet Blaze, yep. um, and you know made it available in the in the trade, which it still is. Um, unfortunately, the, the the original plant um, uh, in the forest uh, uh, didn't persist. Mm. Wattles being you know somewhat short lived. Yep. Uh, but you know this thing is, is is now in cultivation in perpetuity, uh, and it's a gorgeous plant. It is. It's really pretty. Yeah. Little tricky to grow. Okay, I tried. I didn't succeed. I think oh. you've got to. I think you've got to call them five-year plants. Right. Yeah. You know, okay. Get them, grow them, maybe prune them to shape a little bit while they're while while, while they're, they're est- while they're establishing. Yep. Um, because they can bolt and you know get wispy and 
fall well, over. They've had it in front of the herbarium on and off for years in the botanic gardens. It's not there again. Yep. So I think this is a sign that it's a little bit difficult. I think that on and off thing is, is what, what you need to do with, with this. what with it in the wild mm. is that some enthusiasts decided they'd go and get some cuttings and took enough cuttings to kill it. Oh, um, so it was under the hand of man or people's. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. I just thought it might have no. finished of its own accord. No. 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 Okay. It, it was got, assisted. It's it, it, a shame. It, it got cuttinged to death. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's a shame, isn't yeah. it? Well, you know what? Speaking about wattles, I should give a little plug for my suburb. So I live out in Hurstbridge, and we are famous for our wattle festival at the end of August. Fantastic. Which ironically is probably a little late this year because everything's quite early this year. As is National Wattle Day, but <laughs> please keep going. Um, but, uh, yes, if you do love wattles, take a drive out to Hurstbridge. Um, my street and so many other streets in Hurstbridge, you drive down them and at the moment they're just lit up with bright yellow goldness. Super. It's, it's so wonderful, spectacular. isn't it? Mm. Just spectacular. So, yeah. Destination Hurstbridge, if you love your waddles, come out and have a nice coffee in one of our coffee shops and enjoy. And yellow is not the easiest colour to have in the garden. Oh, You've got, you got to have it. In, I'm obsessed with yellow in well, gardens. And at this time of year, it is absolutely <laughs> wonderful because it, it lifts. And white at this time of year yeah. lifts your spirit. Lifts your mood. Yeah, makes Whereas you smile. white disappears in summer when the, when the light is much harder. Yeah. I'm just going to... Duck into oh, speaking of white, my, <laughs> my, my little, little stash of, um, of of plants. This is this is a, a white amovium, so uh, one of the paper daisies. Mm. Um, now this is growing in amongst um, uh, iron barks, black trunked iron barks. Ooh, that'd look moody. Could you imagine the pop? Yeah, with this, Absolutely this against fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, white is a gorgeous. White's a gorgeous colour in in winter, and I think I've heard you say before. Virginia, that white tends to, um, it's a little bit more challenging in the middle of summer when things are really hot. And I used to go to Sissinghurst a lot, which is one of the best gardens in England, and they have a white garden, mm. and it is absolutely fabulous. But I wouldn't even think of doing a, a whole section of my garden in white because in summer it disappears, and that light is so hard yep. that it brings out... Um, dirty shades in the white, oh, yeah. which that soft light in Britain just doesn't do. And the same, I mean, the way in Britain you can have these absolute moody, moody gardens full of soft <clears throat> colours. Well, what we do so well in summer is have those really strong colours, you know, yellows and purples together yeah. and, yep. you know, a, a section where you've got pink and red together, which, you know, like blue and green should never be seen. <laughs> it's one of those ones that is just fantastic if the light's hard. It yeah. just announces Shines. itself. Yeah. Yep. And so I think it's one of the – it took me quite a while when I moved back because I was away 20 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it took me quite a long time to to relearn, well, to to learn to garden differently because the light was so different. Yeah. It is, and it is vastly different, isn't it? Vastly, it is. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, the first question when people ring in, you know, oh, which reminds me, I've said the wrong number. I mean, I've given you the outside <laughs> line that still comes through, but nine four one nine o one double five nine four one nine o one double five. But when people ring in and they say, oh. You know, I, I want to plant this, and I'm not sure where to plant it. First thing I say is, "Where's the north wind?" What's the, yeah, the aspect. Mm. Yeah. That's my. I mean, it's, I don't say shade or sun first. I say, "How hot is it in the afternoon? Have you got yep. the north wind? Yep. Have you got the blistering western sun in February?" Yeah. That's the first question. Yeah. Then the next question is, 
filtered light, shade. Because I had a, the first garden I had here, I had a maple, which was completely shaded, mm -hmm. lovely um, dappled shade, perfect position, north wind. Yeah, um, so it. it would just strip yeah. every every summer. It would just strip. Yep. It was so it had everything else about its aspect was perfect, mm. but the north wind was no good. Mm. So Hurstbridge has uh, an acacia a wattle festival. A wattle festival, yeah. It's always the last mm. Sunday in August. Okay, so on the last Thursday in August, oh. um, there is a. Uh, the Acacia Project, which was a RBG Friends of RBGM Melbourne um, exhibition, is coming. Is spending a month in Cranbourne, oh. uh, and that's uh, twenty three botanical artists, uh, uh, members of the framed the famed Whirlies. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, the Whirlies. So the Whirlies are the Melbourne botanical Ill illustrators. Yes, and they've been doing it for yonks. Right. Absolutely ages. So they have, uh, they, so it's material which is um, uh, coming out of the state botanical collection uh, and all different, all manner of different uh, acacias, which will be um, uh, illustrations of all manner of different acacias, will be at Cranbourne for the month of September. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I've got another mistake. Chris has phoned in. It's the Warringal Orchid Show next weekend, which is why it's in Greensboro. It's not the Warrigal Orchid oh. Show. <laughs> I'm doing well you this morning. You really needed your, your cheat sheet this morning, didn't <laughs> you? There's a few letters difference there. We'll forgive you, Virginia. Yeah. But there's a few hundred kilometres difference. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Huge. I couldn't work out <coughs> why Warrigal was doing it in Greensboro. But now I know the Winter Orchid Show. At St. Sava Community Centre, 212 Diamond Creek Road in Greensboro, the Warringal Orchid Society. <laughs> and, and I'll, get, I'll get banned, you know. <laughs> the others will gang up and say, you make too many mistakes, off you go. And, um, I, and I've just realised that the focus of the Acacia Project, the thing which is at the uh, Melbourne Illustrators um, at, at uh, Cranbourne, is... Um, it's recording a selection of the rare and endangered acacias which are growing at RBGV Melbourne. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I'm so fascinated. By not just rare and not just your garden variety wattle. Yep. Uh, but things have well, got. Well, we all that need got... to be planting as many rare and endangered in our own gardens as we can. Yeah, and that's the kind of the point of that yes. raising rarity project. There, there is another element to the raising rare rarity project. It's a pilot at the moment, but we're going out. We're running a pilot where we've gone to a couple of schools, um, and the um, the the students are growing on uh, a rare and threatened plant from their from their particular region. How fantastic! It's a botany lesson. Uh, they're they're making observations about um, propagation success when the first leaf came, when the first bud came, when the first flower came, when it produced the first viable seed. The seed is being collected by the students. Um, and then sent back to the Royal Botanic Gardens of Victoria to go into the conservation seed bank, um, and. Um, it, it, it is a project which is just so touching that we there, there was uh, a couple of us went down to Rosedale Primary School in uh, Gippsland. Mm -hmm. um, they're working with a plant called Craspedia canans, which is a little one of those button daisies, yep. uh, growing on the railway line about forty or fifty kilometres from from the school. 
Now, that population at the school, at, at the railway line, is about to get bowled over for, for track extensions or track works. Um, and so there's this really strong connection between the species of, 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 of plant, the work that the school kids are doing, and the material, the, the seed that gets collected has the potential to be used for revegetation or reintroduction um, in and around other areas, su- suitable it, areas. And is it elsewhere or just... Over the, yeah, the no, track. it is. It mm. it occurs. Um, it occurs down on the Mornington Peninsula. There's a population near Cranbourne, um, so it's rare, uh, widespread, but uncommon. Mm. So little populations which are distributed across a fair bit of the state, but they're you all see tiny. A, a, a sizable population being bulldozed. Yeah, it's significant. It's yeah, significant. And will they try and move it? Uh, there, there is a translocation thing. Yes, it's dig, it's it is diggable. It's rec- so it's rescuable. Unlike the Wollamai Pine. Unlike the Wollamai Pine, yeah. And just on Wollamai Pines, if yes. it's okay, um, we received a um, – late last week we received from the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney a six-pack oh. <laughs> of – Not of, a beer. What, no, <laughs> a six-pack of Wollamai Pines. Um, the Sydney Botanic Gardens are establishing um, – genetically representative collections of Wollamai Pines. So it's all sort of known – Genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the the sign says tree one stem one. Oh. So it's 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 been very very um, uh, rigorously collected in the wild, mm-hmm. and and these six packs are going all over the world. All oh, right. As a multi site conservation collection, um, so they're going all through Europe, all through the states, into Canada. Um, and the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria are the, the, the Australian re- recipients of some of that material. Um, and we're going to be popping that into the Gondwana Garden with, with the view that we can provide feedback on the performance of the plants, how it's travelling. It's a, the exact same principles as what the school kids are doing down in Rosedale. Yep. Um, but we're, we're, we're doing that with Wollamise. And the, taking it globally as well. And taking it globally, yeah. You know what? I saw our Wollamai pine in the Botanic Gardens in Dublin. Yeah. I did feel a bit sorry for it, though, because it was in a cage. In a cage. <laughs> Yes, I know. I've got a photo of me. Here's me <coughs> hanging out with a local Aussie in Dublin Botanic Gardens in a cage. And um, which which plant was the Wollamai? Oh, the Wollamai. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a tree about my height. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was in a cage. We that have a few we years have ago? such problem with that. Theft. Was ooh, four years ago. Yeah, uh, still caging them. Mm. Yeah, but we have such problems with theft. Yeah, we do. Botanic Gardens. Apparently, there's been a hit on our cycads. Yeah. Okay, that's not good. Oh, which is terrible. Is and terrible. we, I mean, you know. It's happening all the – the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne has got a, quite a rare and extensive collection of camellias. Wow. Now, people have to dig it up and then get it over a fence, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's not going to live. No, it's no. ridiculous, isn't it? So all you're doing in trying to steal it is probably killing it. Mm. Yeah. Although, I mean, look, my husband's Irish and one of the things I often comment about in Ireland is the lack of just public planting, mm. public trees. You know, kids' playgrounds, are they look like something – Desolate because there's well, never any trees or not only no trees, them. there's no grass. Well, well, uh, there is a lot of grass, but they, you know, just mow it down or they don't let it in the actual play space. They put bitumen it's everywhere. Environmentally anyway. barren. Exactly, but yeah. one of the massive problems in Ireland is they can't plant anything publicly because it just gets, oh, it gets pinched. Yeah, but if you made enough trees available so people weren't desperate for them for their own gardens, maybe they wouldn't get nicked. I'm not necessarily sure it's people taking them for their own gardens either. I think it's just vandalism. Yeah, but right out. Vandalism. Oh, that's awful. So I know I don't know how to fix that, but it's it's something that always disheartens me. Well, it's that. a symptom, isn't it? Yeah. Va- I, you know, vandalism is, is always a symptom of something. 
Yeah. You know, it's a... But there are some very beautiful gardens in Ireland. Oh, my goodness, there. Some of my fav- most favourite gardens in Ireland. Mm. Um, I adore looking at the Irish gardens. And obviously, because the times I've gone there, we try to get over every two years or so. The times we go there, of course, it's the depths of winter here. <laughs> and we head over to Irish summer. And I'm doing air quotes here because I generally still am wearing a puffy jacket in all of my photos. <laughs> the Melbourne black puffer? The Melbourne black puffer, yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I go, I go to Ireland quite a lot and, and um, I quite often go up to Donegal. Oh, yes. Which is stunning and I stay in this wonderful house that just looks over the most stunning piece of coastline. Oh, how magic. But... I take clothes specifically to go to Ireland. <laughs> yeah. and, and last year in June, I chose to get COVID, which wasn't fun. And oh, I, was in, I, was, I was in Northern Ireland um, and staying with friends, luckily, because mm-hmm. I don't know what you do if you're stuck yeah. in a hotel. It was freezing. Yeah. It was absolutely freezing. But <laughs> it was it was just fabulous. It's gorgeous. Have you ever been over to sir, the West Cork area, so places like Bantry and Glengarry? I flew into Cork about... 35 years ago, mm-hmm. and I, back then, I've got green eyes, I've got freckles, and back then my hair was quite red, and I got off the tra- off the plane, and, the, and it was, must it, and we still were showing passports and things, yeah. and he said, oh, good to be home then. Ah. <laughs> and I spoke, and he said, ah, oh, Australian, you've yep. been away a, lot, a while then, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't been back to Cork for years, I really want yeah. to go back. No, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous part of the world. And actually, that segues into, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm publicly announcing it on radio, but I'm actually leading my first garden tour next year in September to the UK and Ireland as well. To Ireland? Yeah. So taking people to some of my most favourite gardens in Ireland. Oh, how brilliant. Um, That was part of my... Um, request with the tour company that I'm using that we went to XYZ Gardens and I listed them all and I said we've got to go here we've got to go here and then we're heading over to the UK to look at places like in the the Cotswold Oxfordshire area. Yep. Great Dixter. Sissinghurst? Um, I'm not sure if that's on the list actually. I think Sissinghurst is truly wonderful. Yeah. Oxford Botanic Gardens of course is very interesting. That would be incredible. Mm. So and there's a, Very old. There's, a nat- there's a natural area in uh, Ireland, I think it's on the Gulf Coast, the Cliffs of Moher. Or the Cliffs County, of Moher, yes. Yeah, of Moher. Yep. Um, County, County Clare. Yeah. They, they reckon it's, it's got orchids and wildflowers. Oh, oh, and County Clare, it's so bleak so, and it's so beautiful. So beautiful, yeah. Mm. It's like parts of Scotland. Parts of Scotland are just bleak. Yeah. But other parts are bleak and beautiful. Bleak and beautiful. And I was in a, I was in a garden in Inverview. And walking around this garden and they had um, wattles in flower because mm-hmm. it's on the Gulf Stream and it was snowing. It was the oh. weirdest experience. <laughs> <laughs> it was the weirdest yeah, That is weird, yeah, yeah. Yes. It was absolutely wonderful. Now, yeah. we've had a, <clears throat> a text asking who is the new director of the Botanic Gardens and the new director is a man called David Harland and he starts in September... And he was CEO of the Eden Project during the pandemic and has done a lot of work on Project International Eden. And he has been, I think, involved in the potential for something (coughs) of the Eden Project in... Anglesey. Anglesey, yes. Yep. Mm. I I think it's a really good appointment. I think uh, um, the Eden Project is incredibly innovative. It's... it's, um, <clears throat> it's a little bit, no, it's not a little bit like cramping, it's like cramping on absolute steroids. But it, it's an old mine scar um, 
China clay mine scar in Cornwall, in a very socially disadvantaged area of, of, of England, and the Eden Project has completely transformed, transformed um, the economy of, 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 of a fair bit of that, um, that, that country. It's, they don't call themselves a botanic garden, um, uh, but, they, but they really are uh, in terms well, of... Well, they, they have the three essentials, a beautiful garden... Education and research. Yeah, yeah, mm. and managing plant collections for really specific purposes. But the aim of the Eden Project mm-hmm. is to engage people in sustainable a sustainable future, a better future, okay. a better future which plants uh, and plant knowledge and plant husbandry and plant care um, is driving a better future. Mm. So he, he, he comes from a, an organisation with such a lovely philosophy that if – that if that if some of that rubs off on the RBGV and then if, like we mentioned earlier, mm. different directors come in and have a different influence over 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 a botanic garden. But he has some of the same um, approach as we have lauded in Tim. Yeah, yeah. And to to think that we could possibly lose that direction of Tim's is just too tragic for words. Yeah, absolutely. So coming from the Eden Project, we would think that there's no chance that we will lose it. Um, no, no. In fact, he's a he's a really great he's a great communicator. Very charismatic. Have you met him? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've met him, met him. I met him a couple of times. We were we were when we were doing the congress, uh-huh. uh, doing the congress planning. We were aiming to take a field trip. That well, we did take to a field Anglesey. trip to, to Anglesey, and we thought we might be able to go into the pit at the location of the of the Eden Project. But uh, in the end, we didn't do that. But we had a cracking conversation with David a, a, a couple of times. Uh, and he was in in Melbourne at the launch of the Climate Change Alliance, uh, and actually gave a pu- public lecture. If people wanted to get a feel for his style, yes. um, you could go to the RBGV website, and um, uh, there's uh, some YouTube clips or some some uh, video clips of the lectures that were given uh, during the Climate Change Summit uh, a few years ago now. Um, but yeah, David spoke about the Eden Project at, at that forum, so that's Googleable. <laughs> so that was Paul who was asking us that and we've got another one here last year in Dublin we were so impressed to see in front of Trinity College huge swathes of unmown wildflower meadows right. so it looked as if things might be changing that's Rosie in Mount Eliza Yeah. P.S. we must have caught the good weather because we took all the wet weather gear and did not use it once <laughs> Well, she must have been there about the same time I was because we were in Ireland last year for 14 days and it didn't rain until the 11th day that we were there. Well, when I was there with my COVID, it didn't rain, but it was really cold and it was 40 degrees in London. And London has never experienced 40 degrees. And London is unbearably hot at 33. It would be, yeah. Because it's built for the cold. It's not built for the heat. And and no one has air conditioners. No, No even just cross ventilation in houses they don't have because they don't have windows. Because they put little windows in that open, only really little windows that nobody can climb in. To retain the heat. Yes. Yeah. And you know what, actually speaking about unmown meadows and wildflowers in Ireland, one of the things that I was really impressed last year was the fact that a lot of the hedgerows and side rows, they've actually put in place that they're not allowed to be cut back or pruned um, in summer because that's when the birds are in, the bees. Um, so I, and that's actually something that's relatively newer, apparently, that they're not allowed to be cut back until a certain date. Yeah. 
Um, so I thought that, was, and they looked magnificent. Yeah. Well, which makes so much sense. Yeah. I go to Westport, which is over in County Mayo, okay. which is the worst part of the famine. Oh, yes. And I go to a, a health farm. Them. I always think there's such an irony going somewhere yeah. where I'm not going to eat very much. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, of course, do you know, I didn't know this till last year or the year before, Ireland still hasn't recovered the population density that he had, it had yep. pre the Pre-exit. famine. Is that right? Yeah, I knew that. Isn't that, that extraordinary? Yeah. It is extraordinary. Yep. Absolutely extraordinary. And something like there's more Irish people that live outside of Ireland than there is in Ireland. Is well. that right? Yeah. Don't quote me on that, but I know there's a very large... I think it's the country with the biggest population that doesn't actually live in the country. Well, a huge immigrant yes. population, yeah. yeah. And remember also that during the famine, a whole lot of other European countries were hit with the same problem. Yep. But they weren't ruled by Britain, so yes. they actually had other things to eat, whereas the British just continued yep. to export barley yep. right through the famine while yep. people starved Right under their death. noses. Mm. Took it out of their, out of their fields. Mm. Terrific. Yeah. Anyway... We're getting terribly political. We are, aren't we? It's a critical mass here. Um, I'm sorry, listeners. Could I just reflect on the Wallamai in the cage? Yeah. Because years and years ago when um, uh, Wallamais were first being distributed to public gardens, botanic gardens, Mm -hmm. uh, I was really fortunate to be at the Royal Botanic Gardens Tasmania and there was a planting ceremony for Wallamai pines. Yep. And a little Wallamai pine, maybe maybe a a metre tall, was put into this cage this proper armed cage. Yeah. Well, uh, the one in the Botanic Gardens in Sydney used to be in a cage. Cage. They were all caged in, mm. in, in public gardens. And, um, it was, you know, it's a quite pomp and ceremony and, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a moment in history for, for the Tasmanian Botanic Gardens. Mm. After all the pomp and ceremony, I was just sitting back, just, you know, sitting in the seat, just contemplating a few things. And the public were, were in there and I saw this little, little kid run up to the cage um, and, you know, looking for what was in there. And he said to his mum... There's nothing in there. <laughs> I was looking for an animal. Thinking that it might be a critter. Oh. Um, so I thought that was kind of <laughs> a, a, an interesting. There's nothing in there. Oh, no, there's only the most, one of the world's most remarkable rare biological rare discoveries rare. in the... Um, well, one of the interesting things is how well the Wollamies are doing in, mm. in the west coast of England and in Ireland. Yep. And we've seen many here not doing terribly well because they're planted with that north wind. <laughs> yeah, with that north wind. Um, another Wollamai story. This is a Wollamai theme show and we've got a, a, a question here as well oh, from, from Sonia. Um, but uh, the company that were commercialising the Wollamai pines, there was, there was a commercial nursery and they grew on all of these trees. But some of the big ones became so expensive and they weren't moving. Mm. So we were we – were, we, the Botanic Gardens sector was – Approach to see if some of that material that was that was not moving, whether botanic gardens might be interested. So we were approached to say, "Do you want to? Would you be able to explore the distribution of Wallama, of these advanced Wallamai pines to botanic gardens in Victoria?" Mm. Which we which we did. Now we put Wallamai's all over the state, experimentally. Yep. Um, some went to Horsham. Now you okay. can imagine that the Hors- <laughs> it'd be fascinating to see. Whether the uh, the Wallamies have persisted in, in in Horsham, they don't like heat. Yeah, they're okay with cold mm. to a point. Mm. Uh, you know, Dublin's pretty cold in winter. Yep, and these these, these trees were being grown out of doors. Mm. But but Ireland is on on that <laughs> on the on the Gulf Stream on yeah. the Gulf Stream, yep. and it's not bitter, and in they grow really well in um, Cornwall, and of course the monkey puzzle. 
which is a cousin of the wool on my pine. Yep. The monkey puzzle, how it got its name was it was it was stolen in rather an interesting way from Chile. The British, I don't know what he was, High Commissioner, Ambassador, some posh name, was having dinner with other very posh people and in the and the pudding came along and it was made from the oh, ar- the seed of the monkey puzzle, right. which is Araceria araceriaceae. And he pinched the seed and stuck it in his pocket and it went back and it grew and it was growing and, of course, everyone went round to see where it was growing. I think it was in Cornwall. Mm. And somebody said, well, that would puzzle a monkey how to climb up that tree. Oh. <laughs> there you go. And that's how it got that's its name. That's how it got its common name. How lovely. Oh. Um, we had a message here from Sonia who phoned in. She's growing a wallamite pine in the ground in Macedon. So a pretty good place to grow a wallamite. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Some... It looks like she's growing a few. Some are growing really well and uh, some are turning yellow. Um, being told that they do not necessarily have to be fertilised with a native fertiliser. Any thoughts? My sense is that Wallamise would really appreciate um, nutrients. Uh, would, do you would, think? Would, yeah, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I always feel we over-fertilise. Macedon's got good soil. Yeah, sure. Um, but if, if, if it's turning yellow, it'll be turning yellow for one of... They don't like wet feet. Yeah. Yes. So, so Sonia, there's a possibility, there's a possibility um, that you're, if you've got water-attentive soil or you've got some drainage issues, that that would almost certainly be turning uh, one of my pines uh, yellow, almost certainly. Um, but, uh, I mean, we, we're in Santa Cranbourne... Um, but the, I think some of the best Wallamai pines I've seen have been in rich, nutrient-rich soils, um, the volcanic soils, mountain soils, much the same as what you'd have at 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 um, at, at, at Macedon. I I wouldn't be, you know, um, using lawn fertilizer uh, or anything which is too high in in nitrogen. But but you know, a, a well-balanced native fertilizer. John, she sent us a text. The drainage is good. Drainage is good. Okay. Well, look, it could be. It could be an establishment thing. Um, uh, um, cert- certainly, if uh, if it was wet, uh, they'd be they wouldn't be appreciating that. And there's been so much wet, even if the drainage is good at this year. I wonder if, in given we're going back into El Nino, if in another nine months or a year they're all going to be looking much better because there just hasn't they're been gonna, so gonna much It's going to be a rain. bit drier, yeah. They do but prefer a slightly acidic soil as well they from do. memory. So they do. If maybe it's worth testing the pH Doing of those pH. Particular, yeah. particular ones. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'd, I'd be, if you're mulching, I'd be trying to pull um, any organic matter off the collar of the tree. Um, uh and that's just a good principle, I think, for, for, for most trees and organic mulches, is that they don't like their collars to be um, continually wet. Yes. So, keep, make some keep, and, and really, for any tree, that is any the story. Tree. Do mm. not put the mulch up to the trunk. Yep. Um, sometimes I say don't feed a sick plant. Um, you know, and there's a, a, there's a logic to that. So without seeing it, but if... But if uh, what a good idea. It's almost... In, th- th- these symptoms are almost inevitably... inevitably Inevitably, <laughs> it's almost always associated with roots. Yeah. Um, so there'll be some sort of root. There'll be some sort of root thing going on here. Sea salt is fantastic for stimulating root because growth. It does. Great it, idea. It, it is a tonic rather than a food, yeah. so it will help strengthen the plant. Yep. Well, I hope that was helpful. We've got some other lovely messages. Happy National Tree Day from somebody who doesn't name themselves. <laughs> hope everyone can find a site to plant some trees. 
Thanks for your show. I'm looking for a self-fertile kiwi fruit. They're available in the UK and the US, and one variety is called Jenny. Can you suggest a supplier here? This is from Max in Thornbury. I have no idea. And I, s- I was going to say dailies, but I think yeah. it's just dailies they've tried. They've tried dailies. <coughs> they've tried dailies. Mm. Mm. That leaves you a bit stumped if you have dailies don't I have think... Them. Max, what we are going to have to do is have this as a running question from week to week as our ver- and hope that one of our incredibly smart listeners rings or texts in and tells us what where they where you might be able to find them if you can find them in Australia because there is a lot of things that just don't get in anymore. You'd be, you'd be, if if you know, these self fertile kiwi fruits, they it seems to make a lot of sense. It does, it does. make a lot, rather than having the, the boy with a few girls hanging around. Yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. as they're so big. They yeah. take up a lot Lost of space. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. just pulled one out for exactly that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like my garden is small. Goodness. No. So if, you want, if anyone has got some information on a self-fertile kiwi fruit, text us on 0488 809 855 or ring us on 94190155. We have one more message. For those who love Ireland, I recommend reading Niall Williams, uh, what Niall Williams and Christine Breen, Breen's In Kitumpa, A Year in the Irish Garden, mm-hmm. as well as any of other Niall's other novels, ex- especially the wonderful This You Happiness. And that's from Linda. So the book is A Year in the Irish Garden, and it's in. Kilt Umpa, K I L T U M P E R. So Niall Williams. So that'll be a book when <laughs> Chloe's busy writing. I'm this madly down. writing it down. <laughs> Thank you. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> hey, I just did do a quick Google search, and it, and it might be that Dailies. Uh, um, Dailies have got one listed here called um, Isai I Hardy Kiwi Fruit Selection, Self Fertile Producing Hairless Kumquat Sized. Cropping in its second year it might just be that there's a uh, availability issues um, from time to time with dailies, but it might be worth going back to dailies and just saying, look, when 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 will you, when have, will you have one available, and, and could could you go on a wait list? Yeah, well, no, they've got that little there we go, the little notify me button. Oh, there it is. So notify me. Hit that little notify me button. Yep. Um, you get a ping via email. All, all of the rest of them, uh, you know, indicating males and females, um, but there, there is that one. So it just might just be a supply issue, but at some point, dailies look like they had or will have something called ice eye. Mm, which is more a kiwi berry size. You said it was a kumquat oh, sort of kumquat size. Oh, kumquat size, yes. Yeah. yeah. Which means it's small. Now, we yep. might quickly take this call immediately. Hello, Ellen. Hello. Ringing us from I... the UK. How exciting. Yes. Yes, well, I, I don't always get to catch you guys live, and then I just heard you talking about the Native Isles here, so I thought I would at least try to call in and say hi. So, <laughs> Excellent, um, Ellen. I, yeah, well, it's was, it was really good to hear you guys um, talking about England and the, um, uh, I would call it the, the different gardens and things, and uh, what I was, what I was basically for plant things, I just had a basic question. I wanted to move a um, a native uh, dryopteris. It's just just a regular deciduous fern. This thing started out in like a little one liter pot, and now it's in the ground. It's it's making an assault. <laughs> is it, 
is about a half meter wide. The thing is just huge. And how, can I move it in the winter when it's deciduous? Can I just take a bread knife to it and cut it in half? How do you move these things? It's generally about moving the root system. Um, a, a, a lot, of, a lot of those spreading ferns have got a rhizome, um, and um, so you would take a division in essence. Um, and it, am, am I trying to go for more of the? Can I just kind of cut it in half, or should I cut off? Is it like a clumping thing where you want the fresher growth on the edge, or do you really need the heart and and cut it? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is it in? Is, is it currently in a pot or is it in the ground? Oh, it's in the ground. It's in and the it's, ground. Yeah, it's yeah. Along. Yeah. With those creeping creeping ferns, the the active growth is always on the on on the outside. That's where that's where that that okay. a, active material. So I'd be taking a, a, a sharp spade and you know digging out a wedge okay. of, of of that um, of that active material, but ensuring that you get a good chunk of the the the, the rhizome or the um. Uh, okay. Kind of the, the underground parts, the roots. Okay. All right. I'm gonna, I'll give that a try. It's, it's so big, it's coming onto the path. So that that would be good. Um, the other one was, I have a, a metasequoia lip dog. Lip destroyed. Okay, there we go. It's gold rush. Uh, I know you guys are talking about yellow plants in the garden. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really like it. it. It is the golden one. Um, it, it, it kind of has a columnar growth. I did rescue it from the garden center, uh, and it's slowly uh, getting established. It's about 12, 14 feet high, but nice. it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not really much wider than four foot, which is fine. Uh, that's okay for the position. My Except experience for- of the Glyptostroides, which is its um, common name is the Dawn Redwood, there was quite a yeah. lot in, in my local garden in, in um, Stoke Newington in London. Okay. They've been very widely planted. They were considered extinct, and then they were found in the in Western China. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And now you see them all over Paris as well. They've become, and we've got them in the botanic gardens here for when you visit, Ellen. And um, okay, they and they are they're a very beautiful tree. One of the things they do is they maintain shape perfectly. Yes. They always maintain shape, and they are deciduous. So that's yeah. two things they, to well, remember. And that, that's what, that's what I, I kind of like about it, because when I first got it, I wasn't sure if it was dying. <laughs> yes, people, well, people are not used to any conifer being deciduous. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, and the, this is my question. It's a lovely columnar shape except for two kind of crossways branches that are just kind of shooting off, I think, out of initial stress. Can I gently take those back yeah. or should I just kind of let it – sit for another year i just don't want it to it's not the top it's not the crown it's about three quarters of the way down are they water shooty are they taking more energy out of the plant than the than the tip no 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 it just it just tends to be one of its arms you know it's just one of its branches yeah no any, anything which is the the aim is to is to promote that that apical that 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 tip tip growth okay um i'd have no hesitation in removing things which are misshapen okay so it, though, it'll take a, a light, gentle prune as opposed to, like, I've just barely gotten brave enough to trim some of the um, conifers that I have. I'd, I'd be <laughs> taking... I know they're so slow. I think, I think the, the, the shop of those would be to take those misshapen branches, those laterals, all the way back okay. to, the, to the main trunk. So chop out the, the entire, okay. um, those, those two entire branches. 
Okay, and, and it'll either, will it regrow from where I've cut or will it send out something different somewhere else? Uh, unlikely to regrow from where it's cut because okay. yeah, the, it's a conifer. Yeah, and, and these things are the, the, okay. these things are throwing all their energy into that in, into that tip growth, that upright growth. Okay. Okay. So well, you so only that, that, you will only prune a dawn redwood very very little, and only for it doing something that's ugly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No. Then they, secateurs okay. and dawn redwoods are. You would only do that for those misshapen branches. Yeah. You wouldn't. You, so. Yeah. Because, you know, no, you see so people lovely. who go and prune conifers and they prune back to the old wood and that's the end of it. Yeah. No. It's tragic. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, no, I, I, have, I, I have a little collection of the dwarf pines and I either stake them up or move them about gently. I, I don't really – they don't need to be pruned. They're so slow. And, and, you, and, nice and you, can, you can natural. tip prune these things. You just mustn't yes. go into old wood. Okay, okay. And I, I appreciate that. And I'm gonna. I'll be brave, and I'll go trim that back. <laughs> I, I also just wanted to. Um, I heard the discussion last week on um, black emu, which I'm not. I'm not as familiar with that because it's obviously not this kind of part of the world. But it got me to thinking. In the uh, North America, there was a book that came out several years ago. It, it's just called 1491, and it was a big discussion on what the Americas looked like before Columbus. And they specifically pointed out all of the agricultural type culture mm. that was already present. And and it, and if you look hard in even New England in the woods, those trees, the old growth, they're there for a reason. Like you can, they definitely have cultivated patterns. Yep. And then even in the Amazon, you can still go, and there's areas where those trees in the old growth not only have like cultivated patterns, but there's still waterways and canals where you could tell where people had made a conscious effort to grow certain trees or get water in certain ways. So I just I hope that people really give a you know give credit to whatever you want to call them First Nations or yep. First Night First Nations agriculture. Form. So was that yeah, book you, don't, called... you don't need a tractor? Yes. You don't need a tractor to say you're doing agriculture. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Ellen, was that called 1491? Yeah, yeah, they called it, the book itself is called 1491. Okay. So, um, mention it to very, Craig, very he'll nice be interested. Read. And also, I'm sure you'll be able to get Dark Emu, Bruce yes, Pasco. I, I, it's, it's not as front and centre, you know, I, I'm not as steeped in the different, you know. No, but I think you'd probably it, really, I was, I was it's, a, it. it's extremely readable, and it's not a big book, and it's okay. extremely readable. I think you'll enjoy it. It's it's really interesting. Okay. And um and no, for, for and there's a dark emu um children's uh, children's book mm. which is just gorgeous. Oh okay. It's um okay. yeah, but yeah. Oh, I'll have to look into that one. Uh, no, I appreciate that. I, I definitely. I, it's on my list. <laughs> my list. I was gonna. I know I've been on. I just want to give one other comment for if you if you uh, want a book that is that is not that easy to read, but because uh, it, it's long, um, there is a book. It's called The Advance of the Fungi. It was written probably in the I think it's the 1930s, and the reason why I mention it is because uh, it is about it's a one-off book from someone in England who just was into fungus, but he writes it in a historical perspective, and he covers all of it. Oh, he covers how fascinating. a huge section. 
Yeah, he covers a huge section of the um, the famine in Ireland, and he specifically points out the facts about how England uh, and Ireland, how they suffered more with the famine because of the blight than other countries. And and it it is a fascinating read. It is a one-off, but it's long. <laughs> okay, well, I've noted that down as well. We might put both those okay. suggestions on our webpage. Thank you very much, okay. Ellen. It's lovely All to right, hear well, from you. Thank you so much for the discussion. Yep, thank you. Take care. Bye. See you, Ellen. Cheers. UK. Yeah, yes, there you go. Yeah. We've we've got someone in Minnesota who listens most weeks. And nice. We've got some, and we've got Ellen in the Midlands who listens most weeks. Amazing. Super. And yeah. who knows who else? Because a lot of people, of course, don't come through, can't come through live. They just listen yeah. to, our, to, listen the, to podcast. the podcast. podcast yeah. yeah. I mean, and even people in Victoria have to listen to the podcast. Yeah. And there's people up in the Blue Mountains listen to the podcast. And yeah. I was at a Fernie Creek event, and somebody from the Blue Mountains came up to me and said, "You're Virginia, aren't you?" <laughs> Should I deny this? <laughs> and I Your said, yes. And she said, I know your voice. And she listens to us in the Blue Mountains. Yeah, how lovely. I think, I think the Botanic Garden show where we had Costa and Tim, and uh, that, I think that had a lot of hits because it was promoted through the Botanic Garden Network. And I think that um, – And yeah. I think once people find us, they hold on to us. Yeah. It's just difficult mm. for people to find us. Yeah. And for the first time. And back to what we were saying earlier in the show, just the diversity of presenters and perspectives and stuff like that. I mean, I, I, this is – it's right up there in terms of, you know, quality garden shows in, 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 in Australia. And, you know, no ads, yeah. enough time to be able to really cook, cook an idea. Um, it know, is. It's, it's a, a really lovely for, format, it is, isn't it? It's something is. that 3CR should be very proud of. There is one show in Western Australia which I think is extremely good too. Okay. I might um, – I'll find it and put it up on our website as yeah. well because it's worth listening to. Yeah, it's community radio as well? Or? Yes. Yeah. And, it's, and there's not a lot of good – I mean, too much of the, of the radio we've got on gardening is terribly short. Mm. You know, Stephen on, a, on 774 on Saturday mornings, they're always containing him and, and, and it's too mm. short. They yeah. never – they, they rush it through. It's a segment in a whole se- you know, in a whole show. It's yeah. not a whole and show. And also, it's not a whole usually show. the yeah. presenter has absolutely no gardening knowledge at all, which he lords, yeah. which I find a bit tedious. Anyway, we have another call, and this one is coming from Dan from the Royal Children's Hospital. Hi, Dan. Hello. I'm very pleased you've rung in. I'll just give the background. Dan um, emailed us. Yes, I think he emailed us and said that he would like to, people to know about what they do at the Royal Children's Hospital. So mm, I rang him fantastic. last night and said, rather than me reading your email, it would be much better if you rang in. Oh, <laughs> terrific, Dan. Welcome, mate. Hello. Hello. So far away, Dan. Tell us what you do at the Children's. Okay, so there's been a garden at the Royal Children's Hospital for quite a while. And I started in February. And uh, it's really amazing because... As many listeners will know, gardening is very therapeutic, but we have a program um, which is about therapy and giving people the opportunity, the patients the opportunity to be outside, experience the joys of nature, the birds in the bird bath, the sunshine on them. And I'm lucky enough to be growing plants with them and seeing their faces as seeds pop up. That sounds so good. Yeah, fantastic. So, so good. Um, Whereabouts in the garden, uh, in the hospital is it, Dan? A rooftop or around the back somewhere? There's 
three gardens that we look after, and they're all on the outskirts okay. of the hospital. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's been great gardeners in the past who've allowed me to start on, on, a, on a garden that's fairly mature and lovely in the dappled shade. Um, yeah, and I, I emailed in because I just wanted to promote the fact that we had uh, a job vacancy. Ooh. And I don't want to talk about money or anything <laughs> like that because people can look online on the, those job channels where you find where the jobs are and also on the RCH website. But um, but also, there's, they do have a quite a lovely volunteering scheme at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's on the, the hospital website and there's a bit of a process you go through to get working with children checks and things like that done. Sure. I don't do any of that. I just get told there's a volunteer that's ready, yep. um, which is lovely. <laughs> hey, hey, Dan, the, um, what's, what's the role? Um, because there's, oh, yeah. you know, there's a whole cohort of people here that I reckon there might be, have been a few years being pricked up at the prospect of, you know, exploring yeah. a contrib- making a contribution in that space. So um, I haven't got permission to talk about it. I just okay. wanted to spread, spread the word that yep. it's sure. out there. Okay, okay. So, so we go to the RCH website to find out about the job that's available. Yeah, and it's a therapeutic garden program is the name of the, the, the project that I'm doing. And it will be working alongside me for three days a week. Uh, I'm full-time. And uh, other than that, really, it's, it's about um, being good with people, really, good with children and being interested in gardening. So listening to this show would help, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm fairly new to Australia, and someone told me I had to listen to this radio show, and I'm, I'm like, hooked now. Good, good, good. <laughs> Excellent. It's, yeah. So where are you from, then? I'm from East Anglia. East Anglia, nice. Yeah. Um, so that's England. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know it well. One of my best friends now lives in Norwich, but she's been living around Norfolk um, for years, and I never go and but visit gardens in East Anglia. Ah. And because they're it... a bit dry, there's, for me, some really interesting gardens. It's very big. I, I was... Um, working with the RHS, and they're in Hyde Hall in Essex. They're they're doing dry gardening. Yes. So I, I heard you p- promoting that conference coming up, um, and yeah, we've got we've got issues with the climate. So uh, with water, and we don't have irrigation as standard in the ground like I've seen here in Australia. Mm. Um, and people are starting to look at more succulents and. But More the, Australian plants. I've got a very close friend who's living in Dorset, and because she's Australian, well, she came here at the age of nine, so she's Australian. Um, but now that she's living over there, and she mulches her garden, and all the um, the locals say, "What are you doing that for?" <laughs> and she pulls back the mulch, and they've all got their sprinklers on, and she pulls back the mulch and shows them that the soil is still damp. She doesn't need to be using the hose. Brilliant. And there, and so she said they're actually this year beginning to mulch a bit, although they ha- they haven't got very dry yet. But you know, it's, you know, they're beginning to understand why she does it, and instead yeah, of mul- all running the sprinkler all the time, mulching is is a word that only permaculturists used. <laughs> and, yes. Isn't that and now they're now they're starting on on their gardening programs. They're they're doing all these kind of environmental practices. Yeah, it's good. And yes. championing them all, and, and I think gardeners are great. They're taking it on board. Yeah, true. Now we have a question on the text line for you, Dan. 
Um, can people, can the public see the gardens at the R- RCH or are they just for the kids in the hospital and their parents? Um, yeah, it's just for the... It's just for the, it's just, the program. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not... We don't really want to encourage people coming on a tourism sort of garden tour of Melbourne and then... Sure. But I would say that the garden, the hospital was designed to take advantage of Royal Park and you get stunning borrowed views from mm. many of the rooms. Yep. So, I mean, it's a lovely part of Melbourne. It is. It's stunning sure. around there. Um, Dan, the, the whole horticulture therapy um, kind of movement is, uh, look, I th- just think it's just such a significant, um, you know, unique horticultural discipline that makes a, an incredible contribution to the well-being of, of, of folks. We, one of the, one of the panellists that comes on here is a fellow called Stephen Wells. Um, and, you know, he's a saint. Um, the work that, that, that Stephen does, I think that's at the Austin, Austin isn't it? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think you need to make contact with him, Dan. I will, I will contact you um, as I have your phone number. I'll contact you after the show to put you in contact with Stephen. And, and Dan, yeah. I'm assuming that you... the first time. Everyone says that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he's, he, like he's, it's, it's such, just such a, a, a beautiful, soulful... Um, just I don't know. It's just a, it's a lovely, lovely thing to do. And and Dan, I'm sure you're aware, but there's a, a whole horticulture therapy association and um, that are that are sort of the sort of the peak group or the or, or the the, the yeah. community of people that are that are working in that space. Um, yeah, there's there's um there's a Victorian one, and then there's a therapeutic horticulture Australia. Yeah. and I think Facebook pages are great for keeping in touch. With things like that, I'm old enough to to to, to go back to a, a fellow called uh, Basil Natoli. I don't yes. don't know if his name's come up in on your radar at all. I but think he started that. Garden he did at the, ki- at the kids. Yeah, he did. Mm. Uh, and um, you know, he's, he's another one of these horticultural angels. Mm. So all strength to you, Bo. It's um, uh, such a, a a valid and important um, yeah. thing that you're doing. It's it's super. Okay, well, thank you so much, and and, I, and that's a great segue because I really wanted to say thanks to to the, those gardeners that had created the garden. I'm really aware that they've made it what it is now, and I'm taking over, so it's it's really nice to continue it. Well, all I can say is, Dan, keep listening. Yep, <laughs> yep. Thank you. Good <laughs> on you, Dan. Very much. Lovely to have you on, on board. <laughs> that's that's nice, isn't it? It now, really is. I, I'm, I get a bit emotional when I start to think about horticulture therapy. Um, yes. You know, we we all know the well-being and, you know, that you go into your garden. If you're feeling a bit crappy, you can go into your garden and it falls away. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, my husband, if I'm in a bad mood, he'd be like, can you just go and garden, please? Yeah. <laughs> just go and garden. <laughs> just, yeah. You've got the afternoon. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Come back when you're nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> it does. It works yeah. perfectly. <laughs> now, Max has um, texted in. The text has disappeared, but luckily I read it before it disappeared. Appeared and he said he's tried that one. And oh, the little, the little, yes, the little one didn't didn't do it. it didn't, didn't cut it for him. Okay, it's not what he wants. He, and so, so listeners, we're still wanting to know if um, the self fertile kiwi if, fruit is that the one we're talking about. And yeah. here yeah. we've got another <clears> message <throat> from somebody else. Is the red kiwi fruit available in Australia as a plant? It's extremely hard to find as fruit in green grocers or supermarkets. I didn't even know there was a red I know there's way. gold ones. There's yeah. gold yeah, ones. I didn't yes. know about a red one, no. So we can't answer that one either. <laughs> and and kiwi fruit is a Chinese plant. Yes. Yes. But it was commercialized in New Zealand? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Chinese gooseberries. Chinese gooseberry. Yep. Correct. Yep. Deceptive name. And I like our top text. Hi, all. The best radio gardening show, aside from 3CR, <laughs> is Saturday morning ABC Adelaide with John Lamb on a Saturday morning, Roots and Shoots ABC Perth. Great. Ah, that's it. Great. Both an hour long. Lots of others that I love on the ABC app. Well, I sort of haven't found them, but that's two for us. ABC Adelaide with John Lamb on Saturday morning and Roots and Shoots from Perth. There you go. So that's definitely worth having a look at. Definitely. There thank, is, you to, thank you, Kim, for that. I'm, I'm just trying – it's, it's terrible. I can't think of the name of the person that does nightlife on, seven, seven, on, on oh, yes, a, ABC. Yes, yes. Um, she's from Yates and she does a half hour garden show. Really, really, really good for those, those insomnia, insomniacs. Angela? Angela. Yeah. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah. And it's about three in the morning or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I get yeah. that occasionally. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I wonder I've never heard it. Oh, no, it's that, it's that radio insomniacs. Yeah. I, I have, when I moved back to Australia, which was 25 years ago, mm. I didn't sleep well and I haven't slept well since I've come back. Really? Yeah. That's long jet lag. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm quite familiar with ABC yeah. from midnight on. Well, do you do – I've been known to do both quizzes. It's like <laughs> – it's, it's, it's not – this is not good. Well, One's at midnight, the other one is at 2 a.m. I and, find that mm. I will often sleep through the midnight one, but I usually manage to do, listen to the 2 a.m. one. But I, I have never rung in. No, oh, neither have I. There you go. Yes, I think. Yes, I think we want another plant, please. Oh, plants. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm point, John. I'm trying to point to your beautiful posy that you brought okay. in. So, because I thought we've, we've got been, to talk about that. that and we've only escape. got another ten minutes. Exactly. So, I'll, look, I'll take a photo of this because what uh, and 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 send it to Lizzie. What what this is? It's it's a whole bunch of um, Australian plants taken out of the uh, of the uh, of the Australian garden, um, but they're things that would lend themselves to. Uh, a perennial border. Mm. Um, so they're essentially, you know, glamorous flowering Australian native plants that you could have next to a, a penstemon or you could have next to a misganthus grass. Um, or, yeah, I mean, that's a veronica. Yep. That is beautiful. It's gorgeous. Stunning. It's gorgeous. So it's, um, so there's, so veronicas, there's a bunch of uh, uh, daisies. Um, there's something called a cassinia, which is kind of Queens, it's nothing like Queensland. Anne's lace, like but, it, but, but it's got that sort of flattened um, uh, Achillea-like, yeah. very Achillea-like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'll, I'll, that, that Veronica is stunning and there's a Veronica that looks exactly the same shape as that in the Melbourne Gardens, which is Australian and is a very, very deep, beautiful blue. Yes, mm. yeah. And those Veronicas, I mean, absolutely perfect. They're, they're gorgeous. And repeat flowering, I mean, that, that once upon a time that might have been called a like Hebe-like yes. or, or, or something well, like that. Well, Hebe's have disappeared, have yeah, they? Yeah, not? I think they're all now Veronicas, they're all are Veronicas, they? Veronicas, yeah, yes. Yeah. But uh, my question on that Veronica, because I fancy that for my garden. Do you want a cutting? You can take this. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Is, is it um, going to be rabbit-proof? Uh, the question of my life. No, I would have thought that, that they were highly palatable because they're, I mean, they are um, gorgeous. Uh, quite mm. gorgeous and succulent and full of water. I'd imagine that you would have to protect that, Veronica, from um, from, from bunnies, yeah. e- e- even for establishment. But they're true herbaceous perennials, so so they re-emerge 
at the at the end of the season, you chop them down to the ground, mm. uh, and they'll, they'll they 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 reshoot. Mm. Um, so we're doing we're redoing the dry riverbed um, ah, yes. uh, at the at the Cranbourne Gardens, and we had a disease in there called armillaria. And now armillaria is a fungal organism that attacks woody. It, it, it's non-host specific, so anything with woody roots, and it's susceptible to armillary attack. Isn't that the one that came in on citrus? Uh, possibly. It, it is came, a came in on citrus in the 1800s. Right, okay. I think there's a, a, maybe a few species of armillary as well. Yes. Mm. Um, but so it, it, we're not able to re-put woody plants back in there, so our solution is a plant-based solution to grow herbaceous perennials, monocots and grasses. Okay. Um, so, what's the difference between a monocot and a grass? Uh, uh, well, All grasses, grasses are, are monocots. Correct. Yeah, no, it's a good answer. <laughs> um, I so, so we, so we, yeah, it was a good one. So we're actively exploring <clears throat> this this suite of herbaceous perennials, um, and we're doing it with Andy Laidlaw. So um, we've been able to, for the first time in the history of the Cranbourne Gardens, we've 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 um, we we have seeked and uh, sought and received uh, um, the support of Andy Laidlaw to help us design this this planting, which is fantastic. So Andy was down on Thursday last week, you know, walking through the garden. That man is a genius. He yes. is a fantastic designer. Yes. And I'm going to. I'm going to. He's a landscape architect who knows plants. Who knows plants? Yeah. Very I'm, rare. He can do more than just move things around. I, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this in the public realm on the record. I have a man crush <laughs> <laughs> on Andy Laidlaw. Um, I really do. I was a little bit besotted on Thursday. He's he's such a such a great designer, such a good bloke, um, incredibly knowledgeable, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to working with him. Oh, that'll be very that'll interesting be. too. I love because you, what you're doing is making a perennial border. Correct. Mm. I love perennial borders. Correct. Yeah. Well, so I will find that exciting. Yeah, all of that material, and um, you know, we've got. The nice thing about these plants is they'll sit comfortably with, with exotic foliage. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I brought in a flomus. I've brought in a philotheca. Well, obviously, you could put the philothecas in Absolutely there. Absolutely, you could. Um, the philothecas are in full bloom and full flight in my garden at the moment. The bees are going berserk for them, so they're a great one to have in your garden at this time of the year, aren't they? Fantastic. Roger Elliott posted a wonderful article about how bad European bees, honeybees, oh, are I did see that for yeah. our bush. I did see that. Mm. that was, People have wanted to put hives on my place because I've got so many flowers. Yeah. But I've just said no because I'm busy trying to make my blue bandits happy. I've mm. got a lot of blue bandits at my place and native bees as well that I haven't yet been able to identify. So They're coexisting, which is good. Exactly. Yeah. They are coexisting. But it does mean we don't want hives. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't have any hives near me. Um, and the other one I brought in was the Flomus or the Jerusalem Sage, I, I think it's often gets yes. called. Of course, it's got those lovely buttery yellow flowers. Now, we've got one call and five minutes. Ooh. So oh. I might no stress. go, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. go to Laurel in Torquay. Hi, Laurel. Oh, hello. I just quickly wanted to tell you I was out at Cranbourne Gardens about three weeks ago and saw my first band. Oh, good on you. Oh. Yeah, skipping around my feet. It was as tame as all get out. I couldn't believe it. How exciting. Were you you near the cafe at at the time? Uh, No, right over the other side, past the lakes, um, right over the back amongst the the rocks, the rock garden. Excellent, excellent. And there were two, actually. They... um, 
it, we've got quite a population of bandicoots, you know, in the Australian garden. That is so yeah. wonderful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Well, it's great that you can actually see them. I mean, they're literally three feet away from me. Yeah, it's yeah. so busy, he didn't notice. <laughs> and, the, and the lovely thing about um, these these bandicoots is that they're conditioned to having people around them. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, look, normally a bandicoot would be very, very wary of, of, um, of folk um, yeah. but because they're you know, a little bit conditioned to, ha- to having people around. They'll, they'll actually present and, and you can see them. And, and because they're not getting damaged by folk. No, 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 yeah. indeed. <laughs> and, you know, important to note that we've got a, a fox fence and a cat fence and all the way around the side, so it is a haven for bandicoots. Oh, I'm so yeah. pleased that you got, you got to see some. Yeah. Well, I think more people should go and view them because the person who was with me had seen them up north, up in um, northern New South Wales, and said, that can't possibly be a bandicoot, it's too small. But it clearly was, you know, it had the hopping legs, it had the long pointy nose. If you look close enough, it's obviously not a rat, and that's yep. what she mistook it for. And um, did it have the big, the big tummy? Uh, I didn't see its tummy. I, 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 I think its scientific name has got obesius as its species name, <laughs> because, oh. <laughs> because oh, it's reflecting their little round tum-tums. Oh, how gorgeous. <laughs> oh, sweet. It's too busy moving. Too, I think it was, does they eat ants? They're omnivores, um, yeah. so they'll in, in the garden. They're actually doing the work of a. Um, they're turning the soil over and they're cultivating. But they'll they they they're, they're looking for little insects. They'll at certain yeah. times of the year they'll eat fungi. Um, wow. But yeah, no, they're they're mostly sort of that insectivorous um, insectivorous yeah. thing. It was clearly getting something off the pavers. It was moving quite quickly and following trails and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. It's it's. Uh, oh yeah. Um, if you come to the gardens, you know, towards the end of the day, you're almost guaranteed to see them. So I'm really pleased that you, you had that opportunity. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, Laurel. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for the show. It's wonderful. Excellent. Now, I have one quick question before we go. Susie has texted in, do we know what's happening with the Eden Project at Anglesey? Is it? I think uh, it's, it, it's the concept's been developed. Community consultation's still happening. I think there's a bit of community pushback at the moment. Um, but I'm not exactly sure what the status of the project is. But it's not on a whole, but it's not progressing at a pace. Mm. And what would the community pushback be? We really want a mine. Um, look, I don't, I, I don't mm. really know. I don't really know. I mean, it's, it, it is, I don't know, it's another piece of tourism infrastructure in a, probably a, a, a part of the world which has pretty already got a fair chunk of tourists through it. I, I, look, I'm not sure what the concern, concern is. Mm. We have another text. There was a wonderful show on Triple R. This is from Ian in Sunbury called Dirty Deeds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were on that, were you not? I was hewing for eight and a half years. And Claire? Claire Hart was um, Olive. So, <laughs> so two of our presenters, Ian, are, uh, used to do Dirty Deeds. One of the presenters called Digger does a segment every couple of weeks on the breakfast program on Triple R. I think it's on Wednesdays. And he still does a slot with David Astle. Ah, right. Yeah, so Justin Justin does a, a, a slot with David Astle. And there's a very good slot in the afternoons on 774 on Monday oh, afternoons. Of course. Trees. With? Ah, yes. Uh, Greg, Greg Moore. Moore, yeah. yes. That's a really good slot. Former so, lecturer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really good slot. So, yes, it, that is an excellent slot. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
the presenter from the ninth show that we listened to is now going to be taking that over. Trevor Chapel. So that oh. should improve it because <laughs> Law Garden, she knew nothing about plants. <gasps> but she did a really – like for the last four years, they've, her and Greg have bantered about trees and – you know, talk, now, talked really nicely about trees. We've come to the end of our show, oh. and next week you've got AB with Meryl Johnson, Ben Brooker, and Loretta Childs. So next week should be an absolutely excellent show, and I hope you've enjoyed today's, even though I've managed to make a few classic errors. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got over that tech. We've got, yeah, that was. And we, that was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't throw us at all. No. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.